In our New Testament reading this morning, we'll come from First um, Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 23. You may find it on your pew Bible on page 232 in the New Testament section. We'll be spending this Easter time in First um, Peter looking at what the first century church was doing and how that first century church continues to relate to us today. Now, First Peter was written to mainly Gentiles. These are new converted Christian Gentiles. And the Gentiles were um, feeling some tension. And a lot of times from Paul, in Paul's letters, Paul writes a letter and the tension is between the Jewish uh, new converts and the Gentiles. And they're like, which traditions do we keep, which not? This is not the case for First Peter. The tension with First Peter is coming because the tension is from the Greco-Roman culture. And they, the, the Roman culture, was fearful of this religion, this new religion. They were fearful because they were feared that the new religion would disrupt the kingdom that the Romans had already created. They were scared that inside the household, the servants would hear the message of Jesus Christ. And that would create disruption within the household. They even said that this new religion is going to bring immorality. This is not moral. Y'all should not do this. This is going to create adultery and, and bad sexual behavior, they said. That's a Roman culture. So First Peter writes to them and tells them, yes, you're feeling the tensions. But don't abandon the world. Jesus did not abandon the world. As Christians, we are called to live into the world. So 1 Peter was writing to this first century Christians on how to live into the world. So let us listen over this Easter season how scriptures continue to call us in this 21st century world on how to live in it. And to do so, we first turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 23. I invite you now to listen to God's word. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourself. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you was holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you invoke as Jesus if you invoke as Father, the one who judges impartially according to each person's work, live in reverent fear during the time of exile. You know that you were ransomed from the fertile conduct inherited from your ancestors, and not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that you trust and hope are in God. Excuse me, so that your trust and hope are in God. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the tr truth, so that you have genuine mutual affection, love one another deeply from the heart, you have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. 
when you woke up this morning, each of us were given two options of fear to choose from. They were probably not spoken. No one asked you to choose option one or to select option two. But every morning when we wake up, we are provided with two fears to choose from. Option one, to live in worldly fear. Option two, we'll get to shortly. Option one, worldly fear. Worldly fear is being fearful of being canceled from the words that we say. The fear of our children harming themselves, the fear of inflation overtaking our paychecks, the fear of another world war, the fear of being wrong, the fear of people who do not look like us, the fear of the other political party winning. Earlier this week, worldly fear wounded a six-year-old and her dad after a basketball inadvertently rolled into the wrong driveway. Worldly fear severely injured two teenagers, one who accidentally rang the wrong doorbell, the other who accidentally opened up the wrong car door. Worldly fear killed a 20-year-old young lady who drove up the incorrect driveway. Every day, we wake up with the option of two fears. Option one, live in worldly fear. Fears in which this world is so readily and willing to provide. Fear, though. Fear is a feeling that the Bible is concerned with as well. Over 600 times the Bible speaks about fear. Maybe one of the most surprising is in our text today. Not because of the setting and not because of the context. But the invitation it offers, a passage invites us to live in fear. If you call out to God, the passage reads, live in reverent fear, then this is different than the fear we often encounter in Scripture for years and years and generations and generations. God gives us God's oldest promise. Do not fear. I am with you. Do not fear. I will help you. Do not fear. I have redeemed you. Do not be afraid. But here in this passage... The Bible is not telling us to not be afraid. Instead, the Bible, Scripture says to us to live in fear, not worldly fear, reverent fear, holy fear. Every morning we wake up, we are given the option to live in two fears. Option one, worldly fear. Option two, reverent fear. Which leads us to the question, what does it look like for a 21st century church to bypass option one and instead live into that holy fear that God so desperately yearns? The author of 1 Peter would suggest to do this. To live into this reverent fear is that we begin first by living like children. And not just any children, but children of God. Which means we are given permission to call on God as Father. Which also means that given our awareness of this title, that we should not take it lightly. Or our dull appreciation for this relationship at all. At the time of this letter, 
The call on God as a parent was revolutionary. That was part of that worldly fear. And in Jesus' life, Jesus was revolutionary when it came to gender politics, also part of that worldly fear that the Romans feared. And when it came to God language, Jesus was stunning. Jesus invokes one of the most intimate words possible in speaking about God, Abba. It's masculine, yes. But it is a word of a child would use to address his or her father and intimacy in a home and a family circle. Daddy is probably as close as we come to that word in English. To live in reverent fear is to trust that God desires to be as close and intimate to us as a loving mother, as a loving father would be to their precious child. Fred Craddock captures the heart of this beautifully by describing what happens when a child falls down. The mother picks up the child and says to the oldest myth in the world, let me kiss it and make it feel better. She picks up the child, kisses the skin place, holds the child in her lap, and all is well. Did her kiss make it well? Of course not. It's the moments in her lap. Just sitting in the lap of love and see the mother cry. Mother, why are you crying? The child asks. I'm the one with a hurt elbow. I'm the one who is afraid. And she says, because you hurt, I hurt. That does more for that child than any superhero band-aids or medicine in the world. Just sitting in her lap. To live in reverent fear is to trust that God loves you more than that. So it's interesting. Within that same sentence, the passage speaks of God as also the one who judges. Our worldly fear, our worldly fear, here's that word judge, and we like us to believe that God is sitting up in heaven with a list, judging every one of us, every move that we make, checking that list once and twice, suggesting who is in and who is out. Therefore, out of worldly fear, out of our own ego, we believe that we can save ourselves. So we say a three-point prayer, or we get busy defining who is in and who is out. We try to do everything perfect, just like a good servant. And to think about the judge in those terms, not only ignores the cross, but ignores the intimacy of Abba. It ignores Jesus' words when Jesus says, I do not call you servants any longer, but I call you friends. Friend is like a title. It seems like a promotion, but in fact, that word describes a relationship one shared with people who call God Abba. It implies mutuality. It implies love. A servant who works for a judging figure defined by our world lives in fear. So they work hard. And they come to work each morning, they punch in that cock, and they work a full day, and they go home. But a servant, 
does not necessarily engage into the bigger picture. Being a friend, having an intimate relationship with that judge changes everything. Calling God Abba, calling Jesus friend, shares in the knowledge of our judge's operation in the world. What God is doing, what God is up to, and how God is doing it. It is true, the servant does not know what the judge is doing. But that is the bright side of being a servant. The servant does not take home work with them. But the servant becomes a friend. If the servant is invited into the home, if the servant is called, told to call the judge Abba, then the master's burden becomes the servant's own. It seems that those that call God Abba, that share this intimacy with Jesus' as friend, are judged by never being completely free of duty to bear the fruit and pay the price of love. I think it's worldly fear that seems so appealing at times. That's why I think we choose it so often. Who wants to be live in reverent fear? Who wants really to know everything? Most of us carry within us a large areas of deliberate ignorance all the time. The worldly fear tries to protect us from that. Since childhood, we carry this inspiring image of George Washington with his troops on this boat biting the snow of Valley Forge. Who wants this picture spoiled by the information that Washington himself was quartered in a large and comfortable farmhouse, very warm, nearby? Who still wants to be thinking about that child hustling for a few coins on a curb as we enter into our restaurant with a menu so bustling with extravagant choices? Comfortable demands that we avoid the rallies. Comfort demands that we avoid the rallies where passionate and informed speakers lay out facts. In America, 11 million children go to bed hungry every single night. Worldwide, 1.8 million children are AIDS orphans in South Africa. Each year, 500,000 children are illegally imported into the Western Europe for the purpose of prostitution. If we spent one second each naming all the street children in the world, it would take us three years to name them all. There's a lot of information. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of information out there that I just prefer not to know. To live in reverent fear reminds us that our Abba, that our judge, calls us not to ignore it. To ignore it would be to ignore the cross, which leads us to the third way that Peter suggests what it means to live in reverent fear. To live in reverent fear means that through the cross we have been ransomed from the fertile ways inherited from our ancestors, which in other words means is that God took that first century instrument of capital punishment that we call the cross, one that showed no mercy. In the mystery of God's grace, God made God's mercy available for everyone. God freed everyone. God freed everyone from having to live in world's fear. And I think that's what we fear the most. We fear being free from this world. 
Because worldly fear means that we get to keep the status quo. Worldly fear means everything stays just like it is. And as hard as it is to live in this world at times, it's a whole lot easier to live into the fears of this world that we know than it is to live in reverent fear. Well, God will take the fears of this world shown on the cross and uses it to change everything. A few years ago, my friend recalls I was sitting by myself in the back pew of the church while the seminary commencement was going on. I was minding my own business, but I couldn't help but overhearing the conversation of the people in the pew right next to me and the people right in front of me, none of them whom I knew. But I was listening to this woman who was describing the worship service at her church earlier that day. Oh, it was marvelous, she said. The regular minister, he wasn't there, so we got to do whatever he wanted. And since it was Memorial Day, we processed in with the flag, and we say patriotic hymns. It was great. What was more, more memorable, though, was what she says next. She said, you know, like it or not, wars and armies are a reality, and the church needs to face reality. But she was bubbling on about all of this. Uh, she said, then we had communion, and then the service rained long, and we were late for brunch, and, well, it ended up being just way too much. And there we have the fear of the world in a nutshell. We have to face reality. The world tells us. We must learn to live with it. But reverent fear. Reverend says no to that idea. No, we don't, because Reverend Fear believes in the Easter, where it shakes the mundane, the predictable status quo fears of this world into to its core, transforming you and me and transforming this entire world. To live in Reverend Fear means that the love of God is so prevalent that it's beyond even the imagination of that most loving parent. bringing us all into a household, not to be judged with the ideas of who is in and who is out, as if we are servants trying to earn God's love. Instead, our Abba, our Daddy, our Mommy, our Judge opens up our eyes to live as Jesus lived and to care about what Jesus cared about. And it's through God's love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness that God changes the world's fears. Oh, yes. Every morning we wake up with two options of fears. Option one, live in worldly fear. Option two, live in reverent fear. And if we believe in the gospel, if we believe in Easter, there's only one fear to live in, and that's reverent fear. Because make no mistake about it, you should be afraid. We all should be afraid. We should be wholly afraid because Jesus is on the loose, transforming your life and my life and everyone's lives in this room. And that is something to be scared about. 
In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.